Hey, everybody, and welcome back to College Conversations. This is the podcast that explores the critical issues surrounding Christian higher education. I'm your host, Jeff Sherrod, and in today's episode, we're tackling some pressing issues regarding the reshaping of the landscape of college enrollment and education. In this episode, I'm joined by my co-host, President Greg Garner, and Professor Lori Kagey. Uh, together, we explore the far-reaching implications of the recent decline in college enrollment, which marks the largest drop-off in 50 years. We also look at a study revealing a staggering 1 million student decrease in the U.S. that's going to be happening over the next few years. We talk at length about the financial challenges faced by college students and college graduates uh, who want to do ministry and explore, but the burdens of student loans and debt. Uh, And we also look at the real examples of graduates struggling to find financial independence and what that means and how we can prepare students even during their college experience for that. Shifting gears, we also explore the generational attitudes towards money and education, uh, talking about the psychology of status and the changing landscape shaped by millennials and Gen Z, the Great Recession, the housing crisis, the pandemic, and all of these things kind of together that have accelerated a paradigm shift and how younger generations approach education and career development. You'll want to stick around for that part. I think it's very insightful. As we go, we look into the evolving concerns of parents, emphasizing the shift from faith development to financial gains and what that also means for Christian and Bible colleges. Uh, We talk about the potential solutions to these problems, including addressing student debt, focusing on career readiness, and nurturing a biblical worldview as a response to the pain points that students and parents feel. We end this uh, discussion by noting the importance of investing into Bible schools, even churches and families investing into Bible schools, uh, offering this kind of unique approach to education that equips students to avoid debt and gain a biblical worldview. So we explore the decline of the Bible-based education and urge the church to invest in its sustainability. I think you guys will really enjoy this episode. So without further ado, let's dive into College Conversations. Enjoy. Hello and welcome back to the Institute for GOD's College Convos. I am here with Professor Lori Kage and Professor Jeff Sherrod. Hey, everybody. And we are talking about everything post-secondary education and seeing where it goes. (laughs) Where are we at today, folks? Sounds good. I have a question related to the enrollment drop-off that's happened in recent years. There was a study recently that found that one million fewer students went to college this year than what was expected. And it was similar last year. One million. One million people who were like expected to go to college just didn't. And the same last year. So this is the biggest drop-off. And is this in the United States or in the world at large? U.S. like typical college student age. Um. So it's the largest drop-off in 50 years. Wow. Is, is the stat. And some people thought, you know, after the pandemic, that students were just going to take a gap year and come back the next year. But that's what surprised them even more, was they took a gap year and then just didn't come to college. So it's, you know, it's this huge decline in students going to college at all. I talked to a young man the other day. He's like, I'm on my third gap year. I was like, I, was like um, uh. I think that's just called like, not going to college. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I just wonder, like, thoughts that you may have on this decline, what it, what it will do to us as a country uh, to just bypass higher ed, yeah. but also as believers who are, are supposed to study themselves approved 
by God. Yeah. Um, you know, can we do that without some formal study? Uh, what What do you think this? So I, I've actually like? been talking about this for a long time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I kind of saw it coming. Uh, probably you guys have heard me talk about the fact that I knew, and and largely in part, our school is a result of being able to see that the current venues for post secondary education, uh, and I'm talking about for me is maybe I started really seeing this about ten years ago. The ones that were existing at the time, which not much has changed in post-secondary, I would say maybe online schooling mm-hmm. is uh, a bit more available. But the the trends to me were pointing to the fact that folks were just getting in debt going mm-hmm. to school with this idea that when they graduated, they'd be able to get a job that would now pay for the debt and allow them to achieve the standard of living that they yeah. hoped for. Right. So let's just do the math, especially when it comes to some of these like private schools that people really want to go to because there's usually some kind of um, niche to the, the private school, whether mm-hmm. it's like a, a musical institute or or a Bible college. Right. So like the Bible college I went to in the 90s, we're, we're talking about 32K a year. And you then take out some loans on that. Uh, so over the course of four years, you had a hundred and $28,000 that you put in your undergraduate education. And that's if you really stay on top of it, 17, 18 units a semester. Yeah. And then uh, probably uh, a lot of folks, based on statistics, come out with a, anywhere between forty dollars and $50,000 of school debt. That turns into like a $1,000 a month loan payment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So now you already have an automatic $12,000 a year or $1,000 a month that you have to make. So people are like, no problem. Mm-hmm. That's, it's, it's, it's pennies. I'm a college graduate. <laughs> but by the early 2000s, you could already see that our parents' bachelor's degree was becoming the, the older millennials' uh, master's, master's degree. Mm-hmm. Right. And no longer did the bachelor's degree hold that kind of power. Right. You had to get your master's degree. So then you go into more debt and you get your master's degree. Now you have, uh, and the funny thing is you'd think the master's degree would, because it's shorter time, Mm -hmm. would be of less cost and create less debt. It's not the case. Right. Turns out can create just as much debt. Yeah. So now you've got $1,800 a month in a debt payment for your education, but you have a master's degree. So you have to make at least in in this scenario, uh, what, what are we looking at? Twenty one thousand six hundred dollars uh, baseline. Hmm. So this, if you go to a Bible school and you want to get into ministry, kind of puts you in a rough situation for most first time jobs yeah. in right. ministry. Like if you wanted to go be a youth pastor, you have to go to a really a competitive type church mm-hmm. that um, there's not many of those kinds of churches that are going to start a youth pastor out um, over something very minimum. I, I know that the the median pay in Nashville, because I did a study on this on there around 2012, was was something like uh, most of them were volunteer. First of all, right. No. But where they were paid, uh, there there was a stipend amount. Mm-hmm. And it was, re- so they're not even full-time jobs. Mm. So if you, it would be misleading to say on the hour because if it was on the hour. Yeah. They're going and doing youth group things for, for five hours a week and they're getting paid uh, $125. You'd be like $25 an hour, but you can't make a living off $125 a week. No. 
So some of the, the statistics were hard to yeah. flesh through. And then you had outliers. There were some outliers where youth pastors were getting paid like 45 grand and um, getting other benefits mm-hmm. related to their job package. But these uh, were very rare. So mm-hmm. toss them out on the outlier side. What it ends up being is that even with a master's degree, a youth pastor being hired for the church was somewhere around $23,600, which at the time allowed for that youth worker to be um, exempt from overtime pay because they were managing a department. Mm. So you could tell that the, the church was kind of strategic yeah. about how they were going to expense their their income or their, their um, employee there. But we just said that if they got their master's degree, their debt would be like 21.6. Yeah. And that's why you would see so many of these youth pastors also having other jobs. Mm-hmm. Next thing you know, they're back then it would have been working at the stock house for UPS mm-hmm. or, or um, waiting tables. Yeah. Now today, the landscape of, the, of jobs, particularly now that we're subject to what they call the gig economy, has made it so you could Uber drive or you get Amazon uh, deliver. And, and we've got these other types of temporary gigs that help you to supplement income that make you feel like you've got yeah. uh, uh, more flexibility. Yeah. But this is also part of the reason why people don't care to go to college anymore. Because now, if you're going to pay off all that debt, and you've got those loan payments. Those loan payments payback plans are usually based on like 15 years. Mm-hmm. So for the next 15 years of your life, $21,600 of your income. Now let's multiply that times the 15, right? And we are over 300 grand. Yeah. So you start doing the math and now you look back and go, if I just got a job at a warehouse, mm-hmm. And I was paid, uh, those warehouse jobs will start you maybe at like, back then, at 23.6. But then they give you opportunities for raises and bonuses. Three years later, you have a managerial position that's offered you, and it's 35K. Right. Now, given, let's say, some of these other folks who graduate with that kind of debt, they end up going to... um, and getting a better kind of job. Let's say they their first job, they do land at around 45K. Half of what they've got goes to paying off debt. Mm-hmm. The other half now is, is barely what someone could live off of in the United States. Yeah. So it's not, like, it's not like that person is in any more better of a place. So what ended up happening in the early 2000s is that graduates would get these jobs and still live at home. Yeah. With their parents. Mm-hmm. Did you guys ever have friends who had to do that? Like, yeah. It was 100% because they couldn't afford to live life outside of paying back their loans. Yeah. But then they got like real aggressive about it. So they're going to aggressively pay back their loans and they're going to gr- aggressively get another job. And then they become like really irritated and start despising what it was that they got in terms of education mm-hmm. because they're, they're, they're still paying for it. Yeah. It's, it's just like this, this bill that never goes away. Yeah. yeah. It's like a complete burden. Rarely do you have someone who gets into a profession without clout that is, a, is really happy with the fact they invested into their loan debt. Yeah. But when there's clout, you know, uh, like you, you go to school and you get a bunch of debt because you decided to become a doctor of physical therapy. 
you at least got the doctor thing there and you get to tell people you're a doctor. It's like paying for prestige, right? Right. Yeah. And I'm not saying, I'm not criticizing when it does that. I'm just highlighting the psychology of status. We feel a little better. But if, but in reality, because of the debt that that person has, what kind of expendable income they have at the end of the day is nothing compared to the kid who went to go intern at the car dealership when he was 18, started selling Mm. when he was 19, and now at 23 brings home 70K with no debts. Right. Yeah, people just start doing cost-benefit analysis. It's not hard. Yeah, it's not hard at all. Now, the values of the boomer generation were given to them by their often um, Great Depression-era-born parents. Mm -hmm. So... For them, the solution was uh, really just like televised and communicated quite widely in uh, at first in the 50s when a lot of the boomers, 40s, 50s, when a lot of them were being born. It's the idea you got to finish high school. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was the first completion there. And then, and then for the ones that were later on, like in the mid 50s, uh, early 60s, it really was get to college. Yeah get to college now the war disrupted a lot of that for a lot of them Mm. so that the draft took place vietnam and a lot of boomers went off to korea they went off to um vietnam uh the nicaragua and other kind of wars that existed in uh, central america and because of that there 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 wasn't that big it was great to have a bachelor's degree but not everybody had them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it still had value, right. like anything rare. Well, by the time the 90s rolled around, in the post-secondary education space, you, had, you started having accelerated adult programs mm-hmm. where people could finish their degrees. Yep. Right. So then you had all these people coming back to school. So there's like a, a surge, right, of mm-hmm. this whole generation that get, didn't get to finish. Now they're all jumping into programs and they get to finish. Now the post-secondary education space is like, ooh, look at this. We've got these people doing um, distance learning. That was, mm-hmm. the, yeah. that was the way you talked about it today. It's online learning, which still falls under the Council of Distance Learning. Mm-hmm. But nonetheless, yeah. back then, it's like distance learning. They send you a folder yeah. with all these sheets yeah. to fill Correspondence out. courses. Yeah, yeah, correspondence courses. And um, so it really felt like in the 90s that uh, college was coming back because those parents now who felt like their lives would be different because they became plumbers and they became insurance salesmen and they became all these kinds of folks who had to really grind mm-hmm. to make a living they they still lived with the idea had i gotten my degree i would be a manager right now because businesses were still creating hurdles with yeah. respect to promotions mm-hmm. and um, what capacity a person uh, could have in terms of uh, having an income was directly correlative to your education so it's like, got to go back to college. So then the, those kids, the millennials, the older millennials, and to some degree the younger millennials, all felt like, yeah, we better, um, we better go to school. Mm-hmm. And then they got their bachelor's degrees. And then they started um, flooding the job market with those bachelor's degrees. And then the technology revolution hit. So not only did they, they start flooding the market with their, the job market with their bachelor's degrees, but they were also more native to technology than their boomer predecessors. Mm-hmm. And so there, there was like this surge of industry that a lot of boomers didn't even know how to think about or feel about, except those yeah. who had like a forecasting visionary things. Think Silicon Valley in the 90s. Mm-hmm. Oh, right, yeah. Right? You, you got like Zuckerberg dropping out of uh, Harvard 
and and then heading on over to California and and making happen what it is we've been as our gates in the eighties and like all all these guys are finding ways to bypass education in order to produce products that people feel like they need and in that case they make incomes and so I think in the nineties was probably the maybe the early two thousands in my opinion was the last era of young people who felt like if they got a degree it, it, it would give them security yeah because the great recession hits in the united states in seven eight nine uh, around that area with mm -hmm. the big short and the housing crisis and now they were watching their their boomer parents or or, or even the older millennial parents gen xers in between just struggle mm -hmm. and even though all those gen xers god knows they had their coffee and their bachelor's degree yeah. like <laughs> even though they had all of that and they had their jobs now they were they were finding themselves um, l losing whatever work and maybe even their home yeah. that they had bought. And the, these young millennials and Gen Zers are witnessing this, and they're like, "I don't want that to happen." And then the economy is just just shifted in such a way that expendable income wasn't really available, and the kind of jobs that typically people make a lot of money off of are in those industries where you do have expendable income so the government at that time even i'm sure if when people were around uh, uh they would get some checks from the government that to boost the economy to to get it excited mm -hmm. and that felt really good but whenever that's happened that's a desperate measure yeah on on the country because they recognize if we don't get put money in these folks hands to spend to pay things this is going to be really bad for us so these generations the young millennials and the disease the they're coming up and they're starting to look at money in a different way than uh their their folks did before them because instead of just figuring out how to like fulfill an ambition or a dream or to do maybe what you thought was was something you're created to do which would have been the earlier generations yeah. these next ones are coming up with the pressure to make money like they've yeah. got to make money and then because of that technology revolution they started getting into their hands the ability to network with all kinds of people and get ideas and and information readily available mm -hmm. outside of the former established institution of post-secondary education. Right. They could turn on a YouTube and learn how to start a business. Right. They did right. not have to get an MBA. So then a lot of them started doing it. And in doing so, they found success. And then they told their friends, they, they had a hobby for photography. They became a photographer. They started doing weddings. They started getting invited to birthday parties. They, they started learning how to manage that business and control it and then dropped out of school, didn't finish this, didn't finish that. Now, I, I think the reason why we're seeing the million drop off is, is not just because of the pandemic. The pandemic kind of excited it. Mm -hmm. It's because there's so much information available to folks for free. Yeah. yeah. And in the end, people do not want to go into debt. They watch their parents go into debt with a big mortgage and then lose their homes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So they do not want to go into debt. School is an investment, and they're not sure it's worth it. Right. Because at the end, what am I going to be able to do? Mm -hmm. Like even as a, a college president, somebody who's like interviewed students for, you know, however many years it's been now, the, the scenario that I often see that, that has changed is, 
like for students who came to school here between 2004 and 2008, the question from the parents was more about like their, the kids calling. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, like um, I just, I'm just, they'll say, I'm not sure my kids called to this. My kid believes it, but I just want to know what that looks like. Those are the kinds of conversations yeah, that I was, have. That was my mom when I came here. Yeah. Like she was like, if you're called to this, I, I can't get in your way. Yeah. You know, like Th- that's it was, what would it happen. was calling in 2005. After, after about nine or 10, it kind of got solidified in when, when people wanted to come to school here, the parents' questions were, I just don't know what kind of job they could get yeah. mm-hmm. if they Very graduate true. from here. Where, 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 where do you place them? Mm-hmm. And what, what good, it, I know that people in ministry don't get paid a lot. Mm-hmm. I just feel like my kid would be better going to business school and at least that's an investment because then they can figure out how to run a business and they get paid a lot and then they can do ministry. Yeah. Like this just was, this is the refrain. It's still like that to this oh, day. Yeah. yeah. So all this readily available information, the expendable income of the globe has changed. Developing world economies in the late 90s and early world, early 2000s, namely China and India, now you can go there and find some really wealthy people Oh yeah, who who can do a lot of things? I mean, if you if you are in the the wedding and photography business, you know if you get an Indian wedding, that's 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 a rainfall right there oh, yeah. because right. they're going to be financed by all kinds of folks who have figured out how to make the economy turn in their country. So you got all these shifts, mm-hmm. and post secondary education, in my opinion, has not been calculating these shifts, and they just feel like we've got a great product. Because, you know, when you have government backing for your product, you, yeah. you kind of feel like it, it's, it's not a thing. Like, we're always going to be needed. The, the government supplies a lot of good jobs, and the government's going to, of course, because they want Sally Mae paid back, they're, they're going to make sure that those government jobs incentivize the, the kind of people that um, would be able to run their, their systems appropriately, and they want to vet that. They need a certain kind of college education. Yeah. And um, there, there's there, so there's already a built-in constituency when it comes to post-secondary education. If you're part of the big clubs, right? It's just gonna be it's gonna be there. So those guys, why change? Why do anything different? Let's just mm-hmm. keep exploring academic. And then at this point, there's the, the really big dogs have endowments, mm-hmm. and they have other monetary devices that allow them to function despite the fluctuation of enrollment. Mm-hmm. And given if their enrollment numbers are down, they're going to figure that out. But yeah. they'll have the money to do the studies and hire the consultants and do everything necessary to make that happen. Where the smaller schools are just shutting down. Yeah. Because yeah. they don't have that. And Christian schools are converting into liberal arts colleges. Right. Mm-hmm. Because they have to uh, widen the net, as it were. Yeah. But what I don't see happening and what I think should be happening is colleges recognizing that the first obstacle to overcome is getting this student through school without any debt. Mm. The second obstacle to overcome is ensuring that when this student graduates, they have some kind of capacity that gets them engaged in profitable work. Mm -hmm. And then the third thing that doesn't seem like it's being addressed, especially for Christians, is the necessity for a biblical worldview prior to engaging the economy and its markets as a participant, uh, mm-hmm. namely a laborer and worker. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I didn't put those in any particular order, but those, those three things just, 
they got to be addressed. Yeah. And the Institute for GOD attempts to do that. Right. We attempt to do that. Mm-hmm. Our, our students do have that record of all our graduates graduated with zero debt related right. to the Institute. Yeah. Uh, we have, as soon as you enroll and you're accepted, we give you a job. Right. And our, our per hour rates are competitive with the rest of the town and usually beat them sometimes by several dollars per mm-hmm. hour. And, and then you get the flexibility that knowing that your your job knows that you go to the Institute yeah. and you can in, in turn participate in all the things that happen there. And then finally, we drive home into our students the importance that you can, we don't know what God's going to call you to do after you graduate here, but what we know is you're going to have a biblical worldview based not on... Uh, philosophies or even theologies necessarily, but on biblical studies yeah. mm-hmm. that produce those theologies and philosophies that you'll learn to read the Bible for yourself. You'll learn to hear from the Lord mm-hmm. yourself. Yeah. And uh, in order to win students back into that experience, I think that if they don't have that value of Christ, we done lost them. They're, they're yeah. going to be, they're, they're more likely to just ride the coattails of their parents' finances for a certain period of time while they discover themselves mm-hmm. and, and knowing they're not putting themselves in debt because they don't know what they're going to do. They can work any of these gig jobs. They can, they can drive Uber and yeah. make more money than they would have as a youth pastor that first year after having graduated, yeah. yet without debt. Right. And then from that, they can take some of that income and invest it into an Amazon business. Or, or they decide that they want to take some of that money from their Uber jobs and, and buy another car and start themselves a little Uber business. Like there's, there's so many of these kind of freelance gigs that are available to people now. Yeah. And, and it's kind of household. People are cool with it. I don't think it's going to last, frankly, yeah. but... Uh, it's there and it's an option. Yeah. So when it comes to Christian kids, the the first thing we need to tell them is you need you need a biblical worldview, mm-hmm. right? And this is where I was saying last time the church has got to get involved. The church has got to get involved by saying every kid who who graduates from our church congregation, we need to get behind them to help scholarship them to go to Bible schools. Yeah, right. Yeah. To learn God's word. Would love to see that. Because then after that, they can graduate and they can go on to get their doctor of, of physical therapy given they had, you know, th- those those prerequisite classes. Mm-hmm. But even if they didn't, bridge programs are not hard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And at that point, the, the young person will be solid enough in their faith that they can go to any institution where seeing churches put their kids out of high school, even if they went to a Christian high school, the difference is they, they had uh, the free reign autonomy in college and they didn't when they're in high school. Yeah. But now you put them in a secular institution that does not have Christ's values and you're expecting them to shine like a light. There's a reason why all those lights are getting snuffed out. Yeah. Right. And we have such a strong evangelical movement among those, those age groups. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I think that we're trying to be an appropriate response to this drop-off. And I don't think the drop-off affects us as an institution necessarily. Mm. But I also think it's a necessary happening. I think this has to happen. This has to happen, A, to close down some useless post-secondary education institutions who who were just there maybe as degree mills or didn't, didn't have the capacity 
to actually sustain their programs independent of just the cultural escalator dropping students in their lap. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then I think what it does is it it poses an important threat to the larger institutions to have to reevaluate their models mm-hmm. so as to make them more appropriate and relevant. And then it it seems it does a great benefit to uh, niche schools because now people see I really want to do this kind of job. Yeah, I'm not going to learn it with a necessarily a general studies degree. Right. Uh, you know, the back when I was in college, the degree that everyone got when they didn't know what to get was communications. Yeah, same. Right. Yeah, so it's like that doesn't work anymore. Mm-hmm. And why go do that when you can just go apprentice with a midwife and become a midwife? Yeah. So when it comes to Bible school, the the big benefit of this time period is that it, especially the Bible school's designs for the student to not get in, into any debt. It can awaken that demographic of students that recognize I'm going to get off the escalator. Mm-hmm. I don't want to just be dropped off into some program that is that I'm supposed to do because they said I was supposed to do it. And then they'll start seeking God. Mm-hmm. And of course, God is predictable in this element. He's going to want us to learn of him. Yep. Come to me all you who are heavy laden and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take upon you my yoke and... Because it's easy and the burden is light. Mm-hmm. Come and learn from me because mm. I'm humble and gentle and you'll find rest for your souls. So we know that if we want to be alleviated from the burden of work that is inevitable, we've got to learn from Jesus. Yeah. Right. And once churches and preachers start helping young people understand this, they'll see the incredible benefit of getting a biblical education and and more accurately, a Bible education. Yeah. Right. Because once they get that Bible education and they learn of him, now they can get out of the work world and it won't be as burdensome. Yeah. And and having to be a participant in in the workforce, it just won't be um hard for them because they've now accessed a relationship with the living God who will sustain them through all of it and help them make the right decisions and give them wisdom amidst um those venues. Yeah. And I think that's uh, something that we even have enough of a sample at this point to show some proof on the other side of the Institute's efforts, mm-hmm. like some other supplemental staff or su- supplemental stats would yeah. be that we haven't graduated, graduated anyone who's now left the faith. They're all mm-hmm. still walking. Yeah. Like, Praise God. And another one is that they all like they have, they got jobs when they came here as students, but they also found jobs that they felt prepared into as graduates as well because some of those students or some of those jobs were student jobs you know they were exploring certain things but our graduates have all received uh, a career opportunity a job offer even before they graduated yeah which is awesome yeah Yeah. even more specifically than just not walking away from the faith you know a hundred percent of graduates that we've surveyed still regularly contribute to ministerial efforts both here and abroad you know they're very involved in their local churches uh, you know, it's it's the fruit's obvious if you invest into, because you're talking about the investment. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think when people hear investment, they just hear money. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're talking about the kind of investment that God wants to do, mm-hmm. uh, which is an investment into the person. And that's going to always 
take time and education and learning, but then the reward is so great. It still takes resources to run a school, right? Mm, yeah. Right. And those resources have to be paid for. And this is why mm -hmm. I'm saying the church has to get involved. Yeah. The church has to get involved in creating those appropriate systems of help for, in particular, promising young people who they could tell, if they brought them up in their church, they could tell this one has a ministerial calling. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And to be able to help them pay for a private Christian education, which is inherently a little more expensive, especially today when we're wrestling with the threat of what Title IV and Title IX issues bring to um, uh, uh, an institution that's supplemented by uh, government funding. And the, the move of most Christian colleges is to figure out how can we uh, sustainably exist independent of government funding. Yeah. And again, this is where the church or, and by the church, I don't necessarily mean uh, like any particular institution, but I'm talking about the body of Christ at large, whether they form a, a foundation or an organization or it is their local body mm -hmm. of believers who gather together weekly. There has to be some contribution towards ensuring that Bible-based education is an opportunity for every single per every single young person that graduates in their faith. I mean, you look, look at the Mormon religion, right? Those guys graduate, and they already know they got to go on mission. They got yeah. two years that they're committing themselves over to the study of their faith and the spreading of it. And it's it's like every one of those kids right. does that. We still have anything like that in Christianity. No. We're we're not like you're going to go to Bible college and then you're going to participate in missions. Mm -hmm. That's what happens when you graduate. Yeah, Lori and I were actually talking about this uh, a few months ago, where there was um, uh, a Jewish synagogue in in New York, and this was the practice that had been was just to say, hey, you know, if we're going to keep on going, we have to invest into our school. You know, they were talking about Hebrew schools mm -hmm. at the time, but you know where people were complaining that it's expensive. And they're yeah. like, you know, they, they, the leaders came back and said, it's, it's a lot less expensive than what you think. You know, in the sense that if you lose this over your value of money, you're losing everything. That's and, right. and the cost is too high that way. Yeah. And it's like, we, we, don't think, we don't think it's happening. It's like the church at large has pretended this isn't happening. There isn't a, a cultural shift with respect to even respect of God or love of neighbor. Yeah. And and then it's like they can't see that's completely related to the fact that there's this incredible exodus from Bible schools. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's it's unfortunate, but it's also devastating. Yeah. Which we're paying for. Right. Thanks for listening to College Conversations. If you have ideas for the podcast, including topics or guests, or even just questions you might have, we would love to hear them. Contact us using the link in the show notes. Thanks and God bless.